This is our third week of the sermon series, Hot Topics. And, uh, and so uh, I want to read to you from my Bible, uh, from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 26. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, ladies, say amen. Amen. Come on. Uh, and then still speaking about how Christ uh, treats the church, he says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. By the washing, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of, by the washing of water with the word. Another scripture says, let the water of the word wash over you. So come on, if you wanted to hear from God today and not just some Australian guy's opinion, um, if you wanted to hear from the Word of God, would you lift up your hands? I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help to preach your Word. We're here to let the water of the Word wash over us, not the, not the, not the stench of opinions, Lord God, but the water of the Word, Lord, the living Word of God. We want it to wash over our hearts, God. And where we're not aligned with your Word, we open up our hearts and our lives to be moved, to be challenged, to be sanctified, to be cleansed, to be realigned, that our lives and our hearts, even what we believe, Lord, would become a better representation of you. And we thank you that you didn't leave us on earth to struggle, but that you left your Holy Spirit to do the work in our lives, that all we have to do is open our hearts and say, do the work, Lord. And so God, where we're dirty, clean us. Where we're dry, refresh us. Where we're dead, revive us. But Lord, help us to leave this place not only with more knowledge, but as we build our lives on the foundation of the living Word of God, we want to leave having experienced the transformative power of God in our lives through your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Could everybody say, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord one more shout of praise. High five your neighbor. And you may take your seat. Today I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching a little bit different. Um, I didn't learn my lesson from yesterday. Here you go. There you go, Judah. Thanks, mate. Um, I didn't learn my lesson. Yesterday, uh, last night as I was preaching, sitting down here, every time I moved, I, I, like I had chains on me. After singing a song about a chain breaking God, I had chains and I kept getting hooked by my keys to the chair. And, um, but anyway, we figured it out about 40 minutes into the sermon and, and then we said, Amen. And we left. So, but um, but anyway, I'm sitting down today. I just really, um, I just wanna, I wanna have a conversation with you. Um, I don't wanna preach at you. Uh, actually, today we're gonna, it's gonna be a little bit more like seminary. All right, hands up here if anyone went to seminary and uh, had some Bible college classes. There's about five of us in the room. That's all right. We don't need everybody to, but we do need the ones who have been to be bold enough to share what they know. Amen. And so, um, so it's going to be like we're at seminary today. Um, and so we're going to search the word for truth today. Um, because like I said a couple of weeks ago, <coughs> we, don't want to, uh, we don't want to rely on tradition um, as the authority in our lives. Just because it's always been, that's how it'll always be. We don't want to do that. What we want to do is we want to look at the word of God and say, God, what have you called us to do with our lives? And Today we're going to talk about some things that some of you may not want your kids to hear, um, and that's why we have exceptional kids programs here at Eternity Church. Uh, but having said that, um, my two eldest boys will be in one of the services
practices each this weekend, so I won't be saying anything that I'm not okay with my 11 and my almost 13-year-old uh, kids hearing from the pulpit today, okay? And so the title of my sermon today is How to Be sex full See, we see what we did there? Hey, come on. Come on. It's not as clever as we think we are, but clever for an Aussie. <clears throat> Anyone want to live a successful life? Yeah. Let me rephrase it for the men. Anyone want to live a sexful life? Amen. Come on. There we go. Just needed to get out that little. See, it's almost like excess, extra sex, you know, like in your life. And so every man in the room is like, yes. Lord, amen, please. Um, today, but the, today, as we talk about these things, we're particularly looking at uh, homosexuality, right? And, um, and, and I wish there were other words to use that everybody understood, um, but, um, you know, but these are, this is the word that, that, that people, we're not going to use any other words, we're, we're, like uh, there's a lot of nasty words out there, we're not going to use that, um, but we're going to look at sex, sin, marriage, and the Bible, and we're looking to see if uh, what the Bible has to say about these topics um, and how they relate to people who are same-sex attracted, okay? And so it's going to be a little hot. And spicy, the first week of Hot Topics was hot and spicy. Remember that? Yep. Um, and the second week was just hot. And today we're back to hot and spicy. So, uh, you ready for it? Cool. Before we dive in, though, I want to remind you that we're talking about people, not just a topic. Okay? Um, we're talking about people working through real, uh, real, real, real dynamics in their life. Um, and, and these people are not just a topic, they're not just an issue, they're not just something that we have to deal with. They're people created in the image of God, right? Uh, and God loves them. And, uh, and so it's easy for those of us who have never or do not struggle with same-sex attraction to make this just a topic and ignore the fact that, we're, that actual, real, just lovely people are involved in the topic, amen? And so um, I want to tell you a story about a young man named Eric. Uh, Eric Burgess was a young man who grew up in a Christian family that held traditional beliefs on marriage and sexuality. Uh, Eric talked about his journey in school and how he was relentlessly bullied. Um, he had a nickname in school. Uh, he was called Faggot more than he was ever called Eric when he went to school. In fact, it was as if that was actually his name. And Eric didn't like the things that all the other boys liked, um, he wasn't into sports, guns, or anything like that. And actually, next week, we're going to talk about some stereotypes in gender and if they're good, if they're bad, and how that works. Eric wasn't into sports, guns, things like that. Um, and he talked about how on one occasion in school, he was beat up in front of the entire classroom, uh, and nobody did anything to stop it. Relentlessly beat to a pulp in the classroom for a number of minutes. And if you, you know, that's, that, that's a long time to be beat up. Um, and nobody did anything to stop it, not even the teacher who was in the classroom. When Eric was in sophomore year at college, he told his parents that he was gay. Uh, after they performed an exorcism on him, um, they told him that he's a disgusting, filthy pervert. And they kicked him out of their house. Um, not only out of their house, they kicked him out of their lives. Um, and then in 2011, he started a YouTube channel in an effort to help other young men navigate how to come out as gay, uh, particularly if you come from a family uh, such as his. And on the YouTube channel, he kept saying things like, um, it gets better. It, it gets better. Life's going to get easier. 
um, and that he is there to help them through the tough stuff. And a month after starting that YouTube channel, Eric killed himself. And that's the weight we carry as we talk about people, not an issue. Does this make sense? We're talking about people, not just a topic, okay? And you can believe whatever you want about the issue. But remember, there are people with this issue that you're talking about. And we're talking about people who have felt rejected, felt hate from loved ones, felt unheard and unseen in many churches. And it's my heart today that as we talk about these people, but also talk about the issue these people are dealing with, that we do so in a way that not only reveals the truth of God's word and God's heart, uh, but also God's great love, grace, and kindness. Amen. And so perhaps many, not, 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 just, not just perhaps, but I know there are many LGBT people that have left the church because the church does not affirm their beliefs. And we can't do anything about that, all right? Today, we're going to search the Word of God, and we're going, to line, we're going to make sure that our lives line up with the Word of God, and we won't change the Word of God to, to align with our lives, right? And so we can't stop that. There's nothing we can do about that. If someone's going to leave because they don't agree with the beliefs in the Word of God, they'll leave. But hey, people, people leave also because they don't agree with, the, with your politics as well, right? Well, if the pastor votes this way, I ain't coming. If the pastor votes that way, I ain't coming, right? If the pastor wears a hat on stage, I ain't coming, right? Like, and there's a lot of stupid reasons why people leave church, right? Um, or, or whatever. Um, but some of these LGBT people, <clears throat> I don't know if it's most, I don't know if it's hardly any, but I do know that it's some of them would have stayed if they were loved, if they were treated like humans who were created in the image of God in spite of the drama or the issue or the struggles or the sin in their lives. So today what we're going to do is we're going to have a lot of talk about what the Word of God says. We're going to go on a journey. And the reason we're going to do this is because there's a lot of the devil's pulling a trick that he's pulled for years, right? Did God really say? And uh, there's a lot of posts going around uh, Instagram, you know, um, the Bible never really said this. People changed it later on and yada, 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 and so on and so forth. And if you don't know your Bible, then you could fall for those tricks, right? And so it's important that when the devil comes to you and says, did God really say, if you know your Bible, you can be like, yes, he did. Shut up to the devil, not your neighbor, <laughs> right? And, uh, and so it's important that we understand. So we're going to go, we're going to do a lot of... Um, a lot of research, that, uh, and we're going to go to Greek, and we're going to go to Hebrew, and we're going to look at the words, okay? And we're going to have a lot of fun there. But it's important that as today, that I'm talking to believers now particularly, and people who already align their lives a certain way, um, it's important today that as you leave this place with more knowledge and better equipped, which is my job as your pastor to equip the saints, right? That as you leave more equipped, that you also leave with an understanding that we need to make sure our love is as outrageous as the truth that we preach amen and so so we're going to go on a journey and uh and your journey starts today but I want to share my journey from 13 years ago about 13 years ago I went on a theological journey hoping to prove that God affirms if I'm honest with you hoping in my heart that as I read the word of God that tradition was wrong and that and that that in fact God does approve 
um, affirm and even bless same-sex marriages, or at least that he doesn't care. That's what I hoped 13 years ago when I went on the journey, and, uh, and, and that was for two reasons, all right? One reason was a compassionate reason. The other one was a selfish reason, okay? Now, compassionately, I didn't want to push people towards Eric's experience, okay? I, I didn't want to be the guy that, they, that, 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 that caused somebody to walk out, whether it was truth or not, whether they should have listened or not, whether they should have accepted it. I didn't want to be that guy. I don't want to push someone towards Eric's experience. Um, and I wanted to help as many young men and young women like Eric as I possibly could. Uh, the selfish reason was that I love to be loved. And I do. I love to be loved. And, uh, and that might sound egotistical to you, but hands up if you hate to be loved. You know, hands up if you love to be loved, right? Like, we love to be loved, you know? And that's why we love this gospel so much, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Um, and I, I, I certainly hate to be misunderstood, and I didn't want people to think that because I don't agree with them on a particular level, that that means I don't love them, right? Like, if I, if I drive a Ford and you drive a Toyota, you know, we disagree, I love you, you know. And, 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 but when it comes to more deeply held convictions, um, such as homosexuality and things like that, I didn't want somebody to think that by not affirming this area of their life that, they don't, that I don't love them, you know. And I didn't want to be that guy. But ultimately, even though I had preconceived desires in the journey, because um, honestly, who knows, my life as a pastor would be a heck of a lot easier if God just didn't care, right? Um, but, uh, but ultimately, I want to honor God on the journey. You know, God, what's your plan? What do you have to say? How did you design us? And uh, what should we as believers teach about these tough topics. So um, I thank God that I went on that journey 13 years ago. It's really equipped me now. Um, 13, I've known for 13 years exactly where the Word of God stands, where biology stands, where all this stuff stands. Uh, I've known that for 13 years and, and you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe grown uh, in a deeper understanding of those things and the why behind God's uh, plan, uh, which has been great. Um, but, um, but I've known it for a long time now. I thank God for that journey um, that I've been on. Um, I have not been willing to preach it for 13 years. Um, I've been willing to preach it for, um, well, I'm still not, but I'm being obedient to God. And so, <laughs> right? You know, let's be honest, right? I, I don't I didn't wake up one day and be like, this would be a great thing to preach. You know, just like, all right, God, we'll, we'll, we'll be obedient. Amen. So I pray that you give me grace as I preach my first ever sermon on homosexuality. Um, and if you're same-sex attracted in the room, I ask for your grace also. Um, and if you want to chat to me or one of the pastors after this or sometime this week about how this applies to your life and, uh, and how you can serve or be involved at Eternity Church, then I'd, I'd love to talk to you after this as well. Um, but know this, um, I preach this in hopes that, um, that, you'll be, that you'll be encouraged as well, all right? I'm not just, not just people who are straight um, being encouraged or being given language. Um, I, I, I hope that you'll be encouraged, that you'll experience outrageous love, and you'll find lasting freedom in your life, amen? So let's pray again, if you want grace in the place. Heavenly Father, we just pray for grace. Grace, 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 grace to flood my heart every heart in this room in the name of Jesus. Amen. So shall we start the journey? Yeah. All right. When you go on this journey, we should go where I went first. 
Um, I've also read, by the way, I've never researched more for a sermon like this. I did a lot of research 13 years ago, and I read a bunch of books recently that gave me even better language for uh, some of the stuff we're going to talk about. And, um, and so, so we're going to start the journey in Genesis. Uh, we, we might as well see what the Bible says about homosexuality, uh, gay marriage in the beginning. We should look to design, right? And uh, start there, and then we'll see if design got changed or, or if it's no longer valid or whatever else, and we'll go through that journey. We'll explore the Old and the New Testaments, um, and I ask you to forgive me for my brevity, but we're going to do 13 years in another 45 minutes, okay? And so, uh, so this will be fun. So we first see marriage in Genesis, um, and <clears throat> um, but let's go right to the start there, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, here in Genesis, it doesn't specifically mention the word marriage. It's not really even saying that yet. Um, but it goes on in chapter 2 to mention the application of this creation. Um, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united uh, to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, Paul and Jesus actually quoted these texts at different times uh, when talking about marriage. But I want to talk about this term, one flesh. It's often used to affirm gay marriage because the term one flesh might seem to indicate that the two become one flesh, literally, that they join together in sex, right? Um, in fact, Paul does use the same word here, um, that when we have sex with a prostitute, that we unite as one flesh with her, right? And so it would seem that the term one flesh is talking about sex, uh, the sex act, um, but yes, uh, one could and people do argue that this does not rule out same-sex marriages. Now, bear with me because at different times, I'm going to swing back and forth and show you both sides of the argument, so all of you are going to get uncomfortable at different points in this sermon, okay? So be ready for that, okay? But this particular message, they say, does not rule out same-sex marriages, as, uh, as, uh, as they could have sex with each other and become one flesh as well. They say that one flesh does not indicate the need for two opposite-sex people to become one flesh, and that is true in a sense that it does not specifically say that it has to be opposite-sex humans that shall become one flesh. But bear with me, uh, we're going on a journey. We don't want, a, we don't want to build a theology that, that, that can't stand someone pulling out just one pin, Right? Um, we want layered, you know, layer, 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 right? And we want to see affirmation of God's design the, all, all the way through Scripture if that's where we need to land. Um, the term one flesh, though, more often in Scripture does actually represent one family. Uh, throughout Scripture, the term flesh, particularly in the Old Testament, would mean family, right? In Genesis 29, Laban declared to Jacob that he is my bone and my flesh. Uh, in Judges 9, Abimelech tells his family, remember, I am your flesh and your blood. And in 2 Samuel 19, David says to his tribe, uh, his actual blood family, his tribe is of his blood. He says, you are my relatives, you are my flesh, right? And then, so the root word, uh, and then it says united, right? United in one flesh. Now that re root word in Hebrew is also used for marriage, um, and so I, I do not think that this verse is only speaking about the act of sex or only speaking about becoming one family. I think God is saying that a man and a woman shall leave their parents, have sex, and become one flesh. And a decent study of the word and the context that it's in would show that it's both, right? Sexual, as Paul explains, and also creating a family, as the context explains. But the question is, does this verse and this term, united and one sex, does that exclude same-sex couples uh, from becoming a family? So we're going to look a little further at that, right? 
because we want to see God's intention and design, right? Right? So far, the verse says a man and a woman. But I will admit that it does not say only a man and only a woman can become one flesh. And some same-sex marriage advocates point this out. And it is true. It does not say only, all right? Um, But I think that logic is flawed. um, But I can see where they're coming from. Uh, For example, when I say I like the Cyclones, you may assume that I hate the Hawkeyes. Uh, But I never said that, right? Like, I I didn't say I only like the Cyclones, right? I did not say I like the Cyclones and I hate the Hawkeyes. You assumed that. So in that same logic, um, uh, they say that, 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 that God didn't say two people of the opposite sex should leave their parents and become one family. He, said, he just said, amen, and shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, right? So I understand that logic. So what I want to do then is I want to go on a journey and, and I, want to dis, I want to search the word of God and see if, if, if on top of this, as well as this seemingly strong um, verse, uh, is there any other verse that, that, that indicates an exclusion or a specific need saying that it needs to be people of opposite sex uh, to, to be united in marriage? So is marriage only for people of the opposite sex or was that only one example of many possibilities, right? You see the journey we're going on, right? Y'all feel like you're in seminary now or what? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, this is fun. Um, I'll even give you a certificate at the end of the day. So you now have a uh, Bachelor of Ministry. No, we'll give you a certificate of ministry, actually. Um, So let's go to Genesis 2. um, And uh, in Genesis 2, uh, again, these foundational verses are very important, right? We want to look at the beginning, the very start. Um, we'll look at common arguments of affirming and non-affirming people, but it's a good. Uh, but but we want to go and look at the start, the foundation. And I want to take a pause and remember and remind you again. Uh, we're talking about issues, yes, but they affect real people, and real people who are in this room with you right now. Mm-hmm. Real people who are watching online right now, right? And so um, and so so grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Amen. Uh, we're not here to shame anyone or make anyone feel bad um, for how they feel or what they've done in their past. Uh, we're here to say, if you want God's favor in your life, um, here's what the Word of God says, and let's live this way moving forward. Amen? So let's see what it says. Genesis 2, uh, 18. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the argument here is over the word suitable. And so with most of these verses, there comes an argument at some point. Um, and the argument here is over the word suitable and what that meant. Some translations say fit for him. Uh, some say suitable for him. Same thing, right? Um, that, but the, the issue is not really how it's translated into English, but what did that word mean in, uh, in, in the Hebrew in which it was written? So, um, so let's pause before we get into this word suitable. I want to talk about this word helper uh, purely because I don't want the women to get mad at me. All right? And um, so this, it did say that God's going to make a helper for the men, right? And this is not a verse that men can use and say women are less than men, all right? Uh, this is not a verse or a word that says that you are just here to serve us. That's not what it says, all right? The word helper comes from the Hebrew word is there, and, uh, and it almost is always used in Scripture in a military sense, all right? Um, it's most often applied to God being Israel's helper. Um, so it's not implying women are inferior. They are our helpers. Together we fight battles. Amen. We fight against the darkness. We fight against the enemy. And we take ground for the kingdom of God. They are our helper like God is Israel's helper. Is there? 
Does that sound good? Why do we going to say that? Well, I don't want to fight two battles at once, so <clears throat> let's deal with that out of the gate, right? So, more importantly than that word, though, for this topic and this sermon is, um, is the word suitable. And you could try and argue that two men uh, may be suitable for each other in that they like the same things. They both play sport or they both don't play sport or they both shoot or they both don't shoot. They both like cards. Um, they are a match for each other. You could argue that they're suitable in, in, in that way. They're a suitable helper for Adam. A suitable helper was Eve, but maybe for, maybe for John, a suitable helper might be, might be, might be Gary. Um, like when we play Go Fish, you know, do you have a seven? Yes, we got a pair. Right, and you, you may look at it like that. Think a a suitable a suitable uh, a pair for the seven is another seven, right? And in that sense, yes, you could say these two men work very well together. They're a suitable pair. But there's a lot more to this word suitable. Uh, there's a lot more to this word fit for than uh, than meets the eye or than we get in this English translation. So first. Uh, when, before we even get there, when God saw it was not good for a man to be alone, the suitable helper was a woman. So why was the suitable helper a woman? See, the word suitable translated to English, it's actually spelled K-E-N-E-G-D-O. Now, it's not actually traditionally, it's not actually one word. It's a compound word, kind of like it's, as is it is, instead of it is, it's it's. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a Hebrew compound word uh, made up of ke and neged. It's it's ke and then and then which means like and then and, and, and included in that word is neged n e g e d which means opposite. Okay, so 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 this one word it means like and opposite. That, that's what it actually means. That's this word means. It's not just suitable. It's not just same as. It's like and it's just completely not like. Any married men in the womb say, amen. amen. Right? They're like us, but they are not like us. <laughs> right? The men are too scared to say anything right now. Come on, you know it's true. They're like us. They are not like us. At the same time, it's almost, the word's almost an oxymoron saying, saying, you know, this and that, you know, where do you live? On the north-south side, you know, <clears throat> and so it doesn't make sense in that regard, but we can see what God is saying, right? They're, they're like us, they're human, but they're just the opposite of us, they're a woman, not a man. So here we see the answer to man needing help is that God created for him a woman who's like him, but also the opposite of him. So when we read those passages together and we understand the words that, that God used to, to explain this to us, we see God's design for marriage, okay? So this is in the beginning. Could things change? Perhaps. Let's move on in a moment. But, but right there in the beginning, we see God's design for marriage. We see, one, both partners need to be human. Don't be marrying dogs. All right? Both partners need to be human. Like... Um, Two, both partners need to come from different families, okay? Um, this is not Tatura, where I grew up. You cannot marry your cousin, all right? And uh, I didn't, though, just by the way, all right? That's why I left. I was getting slim pickings. <laughs> Started looking at my cousin, being like, she's not that bad. I was like, no, i got to get out of here, you know? And three... Uh, both partners must be of the opposite sex, Canago. Okay, so here we see God's design for marriage. 
Now what we want to do, that's God's design for marriage. We want to look at same-sex behavior. And also we want to see if these instructions are repeated anywhere else in Scripture. Okay, Because again, you, you see a lot of did God really say happening online these days. And um, <clears throat> the Christian life is a life that we want to live in service to God and allowing Him to align our lives with His will. Amen. Um, so also we want to see if any of this was overruled by Christ in the New Testament, um, which did also happen a couple of different times where there'd be some sort of uh, thing said in the Old Testament. Christ comes and says, we ain't doing that anymore. Uh, so we're going to go to Leviticus 18 and 20 and talk about uh, same-sex sexual relations. Um, they say this. So when I say 18 and 20, I mean chapter 18, chapter 20. Um, and I'll just give you two verses. Um, Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Uh, and the next one, if a man has sexual relations with a man uh, as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable and they are to be put to death. Uh, their blood will be on their own hands, on their own heads. Uh, can someone say thank God for the cross? Because I have done detestable things in my life and I thank God for the cross. Mm-hmm. And uh, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Say it with me, right? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, right? Like I thank God for the cross. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support Eternity Church, please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That will help us reach more people to share the good news with. Thanks so much. Now back to the message. So let's first look at the arguments that pro-gay marriage or affirming people uh, like to make. And uh, the two arguments that they make are that these scriptures are talking about rape and uh, cult prostitution. Um, and cult prostitution being, what, being, being, being the main one, uh, then followed by rape as well. Um, but historians and scholars, both secular and Christian, have actually found zero evidence that cultish prostitution existed in this time period. Okay? Um, it, it didn't exist then. Uh, and, and actually, even some, uh, even many LGBT-affirming secular scholars uh, agree that this passage was not talking about cultish prostitution, as there was no evidence to support that that existed um, at the time that this was written. Now, you might find uh, an article saying that now, but you won't find anything referring any writings of that time period. There's no, there's no literature from that time period in Israel's life that indicates that this cultish prostitution existed at all, right? Someone saying it in a, in a Google post now doesn't make it true then, okay? Because I could write an article now saying that when I was six, I was actually a king, but I wasn't, okay? And so it, it, what, what we want to see is a photo of me as a king when I was six or a piece of writing from then. Does that make sense? And there's none, okay? Uh, it, it, it for sure existed later on, but at this time and especially, uh, but not at this time, uh, and especially not in Israel. So that leaves the idea that the passage was simply talking about forced sex uh, or rape, okay? Um, and that's a, another very, very common argument that, that people use for all of the scriptures in the Word of God that talk about uh, men having sex with men and women having sex with women. Um, all, all throughout the Word of God, people say, well, it's talking about rape. It's talking about forced forcing someone to have sex. Um, uh, and so are these passages simply saying that men should not rape men? Um, and the absurdity of that argument, and again, I'm talking about the, uh, when I say the absurdity of the, I'm not saying the absurdity of the person who struggles here. I'm talking about the absurdity of this argument, okay? So the absurdity of this argument is undone in the scripture itself. See, if we were to take the words have sex with and replace them with rape, the passage would read, um, a man should not rape a man, how he rapes a woman. 
that's an absurd argument to make. Can you see this? Like, we don't have to dig very deep in this to, to see the absurdity of this argument. Um, the, the, that argument infers that God was okay with men forcing women to have sex with them. Um, that's fine, but just don't do that to a man. And you see, that's, that's not at all how Scripture treats women at all. Uh, anywhere from the start to the end. Now, people did bad things to women, but there's nowhere in Scripture where God is telling people to treat people. In fact, quite the opposite, where God talks to us about loving and honoring and respecting and being kind to. Not to mention that the second Scripture uh, that we read actually commands that there would be a punishment for both the people who were involved, uh, as both were willing participants and did wrong in the sight of God. So these Scriptures actually do stand on their own as they are, And they do clearly say that men should not have sex with men. And in the Greek words and the, sorry, in the Hebrew words that they were written, they very clearly say these sentences should not have sex with men um, as they have sex with women. And so what we need to do is we need to look then after that, we need to look to the New Testament to see if that law is abolished or if it's repeated, because there are a lot of things, and we have to be honest, Christians, there are a lot of things in Leviticus that we don't hold to, right, that we don't hang on to right now. Some things in Leviticus have been abolished. An example of a Levitical law or a Levitical law um, that's no longer binding on Christians would be the BLT that you had for breakfast before you came to church today, all right, and someone say, glory to God, all right. Uh, Christ declared and specifically said that we can eat any meat we want. He declared all meat clean. He did say to be kind to people. So if somebody, if it's going to make someone bath near you, don't do it. Like just general kindness, right? Um, but he said that we can eat any meat we want. So after church, go get another BLT. Hello. Come on. So this means that he abolished the law. All right. He abolished that law. He, he, and, and, and we're not bound it. We're not bound by that. Um, it's also important to note that Christians still agree, by the way, on all the laws that surround this passage. See, Leviticus is a lot of chapters, and so there are some things in there that have been changed or the, 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 the specifics of it no longer count, but the heart of it still does. There's other ones where the, um, where the um, what's it called? There's other ones where, where the law itself is fulfilled or it is, or it is uh, abolished by Christ. Um, and so what we need to know about this law is, is it abolished or is it fulfilled, right? Um, so now all the laws around it are still being observed, uh, for example, and they have not been abolished. For example, incest, adultery, child sacrifice, bestiality, theft, lying, taking the Lord's name in vain, oppressing your neighbor, don't do it, cursing the deaf. I don't even know why you're doing that. <laughs> Yelling at deaf people. That's stupid. Don't do it, all right? And don't curse them. Don't say nasty things about them. Don't tease them for the way they speak, right? You see the heart in these laws? Um, uh, hating your brother, slander, making your daughter a prostitute. Don't do it, all right? These things are still there. They, they, like I said, it's a big book, but let's, let's go down to these two, these two chapters that, 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 that are considered one section, okay? So this was said, and, and then this, or that, right? These two chapters, the, the, the stuff in those chapters are still observed, right? Um, the, the, but then some other verses are fulfilled, right? Uh, talking about grapes, by the way. Um, grapes. There's an example of one that's changed. Anyone growing grapes at home? No, we live in Iowa, right? 
So, do, so, so what does that law even mean to you? There's a law that said, do not, uh, do not pick up the grapes that have fallen to the ground. Is it because they're dirty? No, there's nothing wrong with picking up your grape that you dropped and eating it. It's talking about leaving some behind for the poor. And you still should have a budget that leaves room for the poor. And if you don't, you're in sin. Boom. If your budget does nothing for the poor, you're sinning. Still applicable. Does this make sense? Right? And so those are the ones that surround it. Thank God Jesus paid the price for sin. So if you've been yelling at deaf people, (laughs) stop it. But you're forgiven. But stop it. You see what I'm saying? You're forgiven. But stop it. All right? And so it's like, you know, Jesus caught the woman in the act of adultery, having sex. Hey, hey, you're forgiven. I forgive you. I'm not throwing stones at you. Don't do that anymore. That, that's what this is about, right? But he, so he still wants us to stop living in disobedience. So the thing is that while some, Levitic, while some Levitical laws are abolished, this command is not abolished. In fact, it's actually repeated a number of times in the New Testament. So let's, So when people say, well, you're just upholding laws in Leviticus, you know, that also say all these things. And then you can tell people, well, a lot of laws in Leviticus were actually abolished, but some were repeated in the New Testament and upheld, right? And that's how we know. So let's go to the New Testament, shall we? You ready? All right. So first we'll look at a couple of verses where Paul reiterates God's design, and then we're going to go straight to the big cheese himself, all right? And see what Jesus had to say, all right? So sound good? Got to go right to the main guy, right? The main squeeze, right? And see what he has to say. But let's start with uh, Paul first. So we're going to go to, uh, there's a couple of verses that, that, that in the New Testament about this specifically, but we're just going to use the main one that people use because, again, we don't have 13 years. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, what do you mean by a wrongdoer? He doesn't mean someone who's saved and does something wrong. He means someone who is saying, I will not open my life and heart up at all for God to do anything in my life. Does that make sense? God cannot change this. I'm fine with this, and, and, and he's fine with it too, or he better get fine with it. They're wrongdoers, right? <clears throat> but he goes on to say, um, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Uh, and he goes on and on and on, and then he says, But that is what some of you were, okay? Before we came to know Christ, and Christ said, You're righteous, you're sanctified. So what we want to do, though, is talk about what is the wrong that we should not be doing. Now, what's interesting here is this sentence where he says, nor men who have sex with men. This is a very important sentence. If you remember, Leviticus said, said twice that very same thing. Now, Leviticus was written in Hebrew and, uh, and Corinthians was written in Greek. Now, if you go to the Hebrew and you translate that sentence into the Greek, right? And then you look at what Paul said in Greek, you can see that he's quoting Leviticus, okay? So um, let's put that up on the screen uh, up there. There we go. And you'll see the ones in bold that end up in both verses, right? Kai, Kai, uh, Kimothi, um, Kiomethe, and we have uh, Kiomethes, we have Meta, we have Meta, we have Asenos. I'm not good at saying Greek words. I'm just good at reading them. Um, we have Coiton, and we have Coiton. Anyone seen Big Bang Theory? Someone say Coitus. Nobody said it. Can someone say coitus? I just want to just get, teach you new Greek ways to say, hey, baby, let's have coitus, you know. And um, just trying to spice up your sex life right here. And um, so, so we can see here, though, when you look at these two verses, that not only is Paul um, saying something similar, but, but he's actually using the same words. 
he's quoting, he, he's reaffirming again um, this Levitical law uh, that, that men should not have sex with men. Uh, the biggest argument, though, that people make here is, as I said earlier, um, that this is talking about uh, that this is talking about rape and non-consensual uh, 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 homosexual interactions. Um, he's, uh, they're, they're saying that what he's doing is he's forbidding men from having sex with men outside of consent and love. So what they say is they're saying that Paul and Jesus that they would not have been aware of the possibility that a man uh, might actually not only have sexual desires, but, not, but not, not only want to have sex with, but also be attracted to other men and want to live a, have a loving, consensual relationship with them. He, that, that, they say that Paul would not have been aware of that idea, so he's not speaking about that. He's just speaking about these other forms of, um, of sex, right? They say this assuming that Paul is talking about rape and non-consensual sex. But again, as Paul is so clearly inferring in, by referencing Leviticus, we see no reference to rape at all in this passage, none at all. In fact, the inference is, is quite offensive to women, right? That it's okay to do what you want with them, but not with men. And remember, the passage in Leviticus is, uh, is, uh, says that both of these men should be punished, assuming that both are doing the wrong thing. So that argument doesn't really hold up. And also the argument that Paul and Jesus would not have been aware of the concept of a same-sex, loving, consensual relationship is, is also a stretch, okay? Um, and the reason that that's a stretch is that there are actually writers from gay philosophers from a few hundred years before Christ and before Paul. Uh, have you heard of the silent years in the Bible? They're silent in the Bible where the Bible doesn't, there's no writings from the Bible for a period of time. But in that period of time, a whole bunch of other people in the world were still writing things. And there were some gay philosophers and they wrote about not just same-sex behavior, but same-sex attraction. There's also a writer from Paul's day, Paul's very day, quite famous writer, that said if the sun and the moon are in a particular position when a girl is born, then she will be a lesbian, uh, desiring women, and that if he is a boy, he'll be desirous of men. Uh, all this to say that, that at that period of time, they were absolutely aware of the possibility that somebody could be, in fact, not just want to not want to have sex with, but also be desirous of and want to be in a consensual relationship with. There's also, I can't remember who it was, it might have been, um, it might have been a, I think it was like a pilot, someone like Pilate, uh, Caesar, someone like that, uh, who actually did marry um, their, their slave, right? Uh, and, so, and was in love with them, and he loved him back, right? And it was wrong to do that to a slave, absolutely, but he did marry them. Uh, actually cut off his, his equipment uh, and, then, and married him. Now, and we'll talk a bit more about that next week, right? So that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> all right? Y'all ready for that? Um, but here's the thing. They were aware. It was not uncommon, and it was not unknown. And can I tell you, if you read about Rome and Greek and their sexual behavior, um, you'll want to take a shower, right? It, and the idea that it's worse now and, or, or that it's different now or no, 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 they didn't know. Uh, no, trust me, it's unreal, the things they were getting up to, right? And uh, so Paul and Jesus both knew and in, with that knowledge, Paul still says that men having sex with men and women having sex with women is wrong. So let's pause the scripture uh, for a second. Uh, scripture specifically speaks about the act of same-sex relations being sin. We've seen it repeatedly. But can I tell you that Paul is not saying that someone who has same-sex attraction is going to hell? 
Can we, can we pause there? Right? He's not saying that you're going to hell for having those desires. What he is saying is that though we all have fleshly desires, we should not give in to them. Okay? So stick around a little longer and we'll talk a bit more about what that means. Okay? But now I want to talk about God's design and how God's design brings God's favor. So we're going to bring back the start and the end together now. All right? You ready for that? Good. So who wants to live with God's favor on their life? Right? All right? All right. Um, does, who, who enjoys sex? I, I do clearly. I've got lots of kids. Imagine sex blessed by God, right? Sex with God's favor on it, right? See, listen, marriage is a beautiful and important part of our lives. Now, I know some people have not been married. I know some people have been divorced. I know some people have not been able to find someone that, that they've fallen in love with or that marriage just hasn't worked out like that. And, and I'm sad. I, if, if your heart's broken, my heart breaks for you. If you mourn, I mourn with you. Um, um, but, but either way, uh, I, I, I don't want you to feel like I'm having a go at you at all. But I do want all of us to know that marriage is a good thing and God does want us to enjoy marriage. And it's a beautiful thing. One of the first things God told us to do, right, was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, right? Or as one writer says, have lots of sex and rule the world. (laughs) Might be the best thing he ever told us, right? Have lots of sex, rule the world. Come on, take your photo out, take a photo of that and say, Pastor said, this is how we honor God. The first thing God said we should do is have sex, have lots of sex, and rule the world. Boom, right? And um, uh, just when you're having an an argument, don't don't use that one. Don't 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 bring up my name. So, but the thing is, this was all part of God's design, right? And uh, we all know, and I think every Christian and, and and every church. Um, of any standing in terms of affirming or non-affirming. And again, I hate the words affirming and non-affirming, but they're the nicest ones we have, okay? Um, affirming does seem to lean to the idea that, that, that non-affirming people don't, don't even affirm your humanity, but that's not true. They're just not affirming this part, okay? Um, they affirm your humanity, your design and created in the image of God. God loves you um, and, and wants to bless you and wants to pour out his favor on your life. Um, and so, so I hate the, the, the negative aspect that it can come across with this, but, um, but those are the words we have. So um, every affirming and non-affirming church, um, we all agree that sex is for within the confines of marriage, right? Uh, we've all agreed with that. Um, we agree marriage is special. But I want you to know marriage really is sacred. It's beautiful. And if you allow God to work on your heart and in your marriage, it can be the very best thing in your earthly life. Right? Absolutely. One of the first things God blessed us with was marriage, was with each other, right? And, uh, and I'm not, you know, I've got five kids, and can I tell you, the best thing in my life is my wife and my marriage, right? And, uh, and, and it's incredible. See, I, like without her, I wouldn't have them, you know? And so the best thing in your life, just allow God. So what we want to do now is just talk about how we allow God to align our lives with, um, with his plans, Amen. But before we get there, let's look at what the main guy himself had to say. Some Pharisees asked Jesus about marriage and divorce in Mark 10. And Jesus replied, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a male, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Um, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, by the way, if you've been divorced... You don't get to use this verse to clobber someone who's in a same-sex relationship. 
because here he's saying, hey, let, man, let, no, one who's joined, let no one that God joined together be separated, right? And um, now, if you've been divorced, someone say it again, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, right? If you get married again, don't get divorced again, all right? How now shall we live? We're going to honor God with our lives. Can I get an amen, right? So we're not picking on people who have made mistakes in the past. Today is not about yesterday. Today is about tomorrow, amen? Um, this sermon is about tomorrow. Um, so don't just, just be careful how you clobber people and just make sure you offer the same grace to them that's been offered to you in your era, yeah? Um, <clears throat> but it's interesting here. So here people say that this male and female part is irrelevant because, God, because Jesus is simply quoting the text from Genesis, right? And so, okay, again, I can see that argument. However, he didn't just quote Genesis. I don't know if you noticed what happened here. But Jesus didn't just quote Genesis. He quoted male and female. But the quote from Genesis, it doesn't actually go how Jesus said. What he did is he actually took this scripture and this scripture and smashed them together. If he just wanted to quote about marriage, he would have just said the second half of the scripture, which was, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, right? But then he, 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 but instead of that, he rewound a whole chapter and spoke about design, God's specific design. Why did he do this? So he goes to Genesis 1.27. Then he skips a whole chapter forward and quotes Genesis 2.24. Here's how God designed marriage is what he's saying. So shall, should we get divorced? Should this happen? What do you think about this? So, so he goes, well, you know what? You asked this, but I'm going to tell you this too. Here's how God designed marriage. Marriage is for two people who are biologically opposite sex to the exclusion of all others. And he goes on to say, no, you shouldn't be getting divorced for any reason. Now, we know that Scripture does say, in, including in the New Testament, that we can get divorced for infidelity. It doesn't say we should, by the way. It just says we can so grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I love you. I love you. You're awesome. All right? I love you. All right? Just want to say that clearer and clearer and clearer. I love you. What I love about this passage is the way Jesus goes, well, here's this what you asked for, but here's this as well. Isn't that beautiful? He does that a lot, actually. Do you remember, um, do you remember when people asked him what the greatest commandment was? And he's like, well, here's what you asked for. But also, here's this. Do you remember that? Jesus replied when they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, us believers, especially us truth-loving believers, we're all like Andy and Jesus himself also said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Right? So we know to love God, we've got to allow God to realign our lives with his plans and purposes for our lives. Jesus says, this is the first and greatest commandment. But then he goes, now you asked for that, but let me give you this too. The second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, all the law and all the prophets depend. I love that. So we got a whole bunch of us in here and we're like, love the Lord and obey the Lord. But we got to love people too. Scripture says, if you love the Lord, you'll obey him. So yes, we need to preach the truth. But we also need to welcome, love, and care for those who fall short of the truth, which is each and every one of us at different points in our lives, in some way or fashion. And we all need to allow the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts, that we could chase the truth and embrace it with all of our hearts. Would you all stand up with me?
Pastor Sean, would you do me a favor and remove this stuff for me? Thanks. Good gentleman. Thanks, mate. So as I begin to close, let me just share this with you. And if I could have as many people stick around as possible, because we're going to do some ministry time. All sin is wrong. My sin is wrong. I am not standing here saying I don't sin, and I'm not judging anyone who sins different than me. We're just talking about what is sin, right? And and we're just saying, hey, we all sin. The question is, as we all do sin, are we willing to allow God to change those areas of our lives, right? Are we willing to open our hearts up to the truth of God? Are we willing to stop, right? And so there's a difference between a guy who, say, looks at porn and says, and, and you know, and the, you know, and if you've talked to anyone who's at it, not just guy, women too. Now I know a lot. Um, most people will tell you that that like within three seconds of finishing what they're up to, they regret it and they wish they didn't do it. And most of them will then be, they'll come to altar calls or they'll be praying, God, just help me stop this, but then find themselves doing it again. I love and honor that, that they're saying, God, help me not do this anymore, right? There's a desire to line that area of their lives up with God, even as they struggle. There's a difference between that person and someone who maybe, say, looks at porn and says, this is fine, God's fine with it, and wears a shirt to church and says, God's fine with this, leave me alone. There's two different hearts there, isn't there? But we've all got sin. The question is, are we going to wear a shirt that says, God's fine with this, leave me alone? Or are we going to say, God, help me with this? Amen? I want to be the guy with every sin in my life to, even as I struggle, to say, God, help me with this. The question is, am I allowing the Word of God, the water of the Word, to wash over me, to help me see the truth and embrace it in my life? And again, I want to say just because someone is same-sex attracted doesn't mean that they're acting on those desires. Rick Warren, a great preacher, he once said that almost every man has a natural desire to have sex with almost every good-looking woman that he will ever see. But he must choose not to let those natural desires become lust and he must not act on them. We all have the flesh. We all have to choose to... The cool thing about us as opposed to animals... And I'm not saying people who don't do this around. None of you are animals. No one's an animal. The cool difference between us and the animals, though, is that we have the ability to have a renewed mind in Christ and to make our flesh submit to the mind of Christ. We can say no to our natural desires. They can't. Amen. It's a beautiful gift of God in our lives. It also sucks because it means we can choose to do the wrong thing as well. And I know this is a massive, massive ask of people who are same-sex attracted. I have a same-sex attracted friend who's a pastor. I have lots of same-sex attracted friends, but I have a same-sex attracted friend who is a pastor of a church. And he is married. And he has kids. He's married to a woman. And he has kids. Not everyone knows about his struggle. But he says this. Marriage is not only about attraction and arousal. He says it's about love. And it's about family. It's about one flesh. He says, I do love my wife. And we do have sex. And it's fun. And we have kids. And I provide for them. But I still have to take, still, he still says, I still have to take every thought captive and submit it to the will of Christ. Like Scripture says. He's in his 60s now. 
And he says he's lived. He'll tell you. Well, he, he doesn't tell many people, but he says anyway. That he has lived a much more fulfilled life now, married with grown kids and grandkids, and a wife who loves him and he dearly loves, a much more fulfilled life than he could ever have imagined if he pursued his own desires. The answer to the question is, if you want to live a successful life, you need to let the Holy Spirit line up your life with God's design and God's favour. Perhaps as you do that, God will remove those desires and replace them all together. Perhaps He will help you do what 2 Corinthians says and take every thought captive uh, and submit those thoughts to the will of Christ so that you can live your life in line with God's plan. Perhaps He'll remove them. Perhaps you'll choose to do what many same-sex attracted Christians do and live a celibate life. All of our crosses to carry are different. No matter who you are, I encourage you to ask God to help you align your life with His Word. And let's stop trying to change the Word of God and try to align it with our lives. Let's stop that. Let's stop that. Did God really say? Yeah, He did. In closing, to wrap it up here, you will find incredible favour and blessing in your life. Incredible favour and blessing in your life. What I discovered as I went on my journey is that the traditional view on marriage and sexuality is true and is found all throughout the Word of God in the beginning, affirmed again in the middle, and affirmed again by Paul, and affirmed again by Christ. But having said that, can I tell you, gay people are and will always be welcome at Eternity Church. Always, always be welcome at Eternity Church. But for all of you, and I'm not just talking to gay people, I'm talking to single people, I'm talking to every people now. If you want sex and marriage that's blessed by God, sex has got to be in the confines of marriage and between a man and a woman. And no matter your current attractions, all of you can have this. God can make this work for you. Amen. What I don't want to do, though, is just preach a sermon like this and say, great, there's some knowledge. What I want to do is give you an opportunity to experience the power and freedom of God in your life. So the first thing I want to do is I want to give people an opportunity to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. And then after that, I want to pray for people in a very private way that you could experience God's transformative power if you've been struggling in any of these areas. So I'd ask you to do me a favor again. Service will close in about seven or eight minutes. I'd ask you to stay where you are so that we, can, so that we don't distract people in this very important moment of the service, okay? That was all knowledge, words, and what we did. I know that the world has a lot of attacks on marriage, a lot of attacks on the Bible, and it was very important for us to go through and show you what the Word of God does say. Go back to the Greek, go back to the Hebrew, so that you know that you know that you know. So when the devil comes and says, did God really say? You can say, yeah, he did. Shut up. Right? And that's important for people who struggle with same-sex attraction as well. Because the devil's going to say to you, did he really say that? Maybe it's fine. Maybe you can act on this. And you can be like, shut up, devil. Stop trying to lead me into sin. Amen. But right now, I want to pray for people to give their lives to Christ. If you don't know Jesus, can I tell you, no matter who you are, gay, straight, LGBT, rich, poor, young, old, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Australian, redhead, whatever you are, whoever you are, 
God freaking loves you. He adores you. He says you're beautiful. He designed you and created you on purpose, with a purpose, for purpose. So what I want you to do is I want you to pray a prayer with me right now and give your life to Christ. Ask Him to take away the shame and the pain and the sin of your past mistakes. If you're here, you're not, if you're not saved and you're same-sex attracted, can I tell you the same story? You too can pray this prayer and say, God, I've been ashamed of these feelings. Can you, can you, can you, can you help me to get rid of that shame? All right, get rid of that shame. You don't need to live with shame for, for some of these feelings, all right? You just need to ask God to help you live your life the right way moving forward, amen? We don't want anyone to live with shame. We want you to live in freedom. But anyone in here, no matter who you are, if you're away from Christ or if you've never been friends with Jesus, would you just pray this prayer with me? And we'll all pray it together so no one's praying it alone, okay? So everybody together, and especially those away from God, repeat after me, dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He died on a cross to pay the price for my sins. And He rose again to give me life, hope, joy, peace, and eternal life. I receive all that. I receive the forgiveness of my sins. And I receive this brand new life with you as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask for your help to live this life the way you designed it that I could experience your favor and blessing on all areas of my life. Use me to help others find you and live their lives in freedom too. In the name of Jesus Christ, I give you my life. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give God some praise here. Well, thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, be sure to check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, please visit MyEternity.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at MyEternityChurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.